From the Comedy Zone at the NC Music Factory in Charlotte, North Carolina, this is the Comedy Zone Podcast. Find us on Twitter at the CZ Podcast and email us at ComedyZonePodcast at gmail.com. Now, your hosts, Will Jacobs and Spencer Taylor. Hey, hey, this is Will Jacobs. I hope everybody listening to the podcast is having a wonderful holiday weekend. I hope you're eating lots of turkey and getting full and all that stuff. Uh, Instead of our normal format show today, um, I had the opportunity to perform with Dove Davidoff. Uh, a couple of months back and during that performance or after the performance uh, I rode with him to the train station from where we were it was about an hour and some long and we were able to record an interview Um, really in-depth stuff talked a lot about him his career uh, the business of comedy and everything else so super informative super uh, in-depth and that will be uh, today's episode so like I said hope everybody's enjoying their holiday and we will be back next week with a full show peace See, it's like I, like I, uh, you know, was saying, man. I almost feel like cats get, you know, a certain level of fame, and they get less funny. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know whether it's because the frame of reference changes, so you're not on the subway. I think not. it's a few things. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think, one, your first hour special, mm-hmm. you spent ten years trying to develop, maybe twelve. Um. And then when something clicks, let me think about it, right? You start doing comedy. Mm-hmm. By the time you get an hour of material mm-hmm. and then develop whatever infrastructure <clears throat> in terms of agent um, and then selling a special. In, out there in TV land and, and, and however you do that getting Comedy Central to broadcast to the showtime or whatever by the time you've done that the first 10 years 12 years 13 years you've been baking that cake so to speak then you do it now you gotta develop another one sometimes the second hour is funny too um, by the time you get to the third hour one I think just material wise those those cakes weren't baking for 10 years. Right. Louis trying to put another one out every year. I don't think his objective, I don't even think he thinks that each one is going to be as good as his first one. Right. I think it's, it, it can be about just generating new material once you already have an audience. None of it's going to be as tight as your first okay. or second special that you spent years on. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. It's like no one in history has ever developed a really good tight hour each year. It's never happened. Mm. Um... I mean, tell me if you can think of somebody, but I, but I mean, Carlin had a lot of albums, but I don't know, you know. It wasn't every single year, and and a lot of it. And Carlin was the the most prolific ever in history. There's that. So already That's the bar is already the the guy who had a lot of hours. And he was also a bit of a monologist. They weren't tight joke jokes. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, but even if it is Carlin, <laughs> uh, who was who had tremendous output. Um. Cosby had a lot of albums. How many? Uh, I want to say around 10. Okay. Maybe over 10. 10, 10. to 14. Over the course like of that. 50 years, right? It's right. a five-year average. Right. Yeah. 
Name somebody who had 40 in 40 years. Well, but, we, but <laughs> 30, the thing 30, is, though, yeah. we don't know. I, I would have to look at that number of albums and what span he did them in because he had the sitcom and he wasn't doing albums for a long time. Right, but the material had been baking or gestating, right? True. I mean, he was probably working on something somewhere. I mean, it's, it's not so much whether or not it can be done in theory or whether or not one guy was able to do it for a three-year stretch and right. put out three good whatevers. Right. It said, oh, I think overall, yeah. you're all geared toward comedy initially, right? It's all about the jokes. You've got nothing else. You don't have a movie career for the first 10 years, usually. Right. And if you do, a guy like Eddie Murphy, I mean, you see, I mean, he hasn't done comedy. He's done two specials his whole life. <laughs> That's amazing, dude. Right? Even Take a guy like Seinfeld. Two specials his whole life. Two hours. Cats are on the, like the Mount Rushmore. I mean, I think specials, <laughs> right? But it's like it's um, and then I think also there's a psychological aspect for some guys that that I've done two and a half hours at this point, right? Yeah, specials, and so. If you've made enough money that you're cool, that you're okay there, and you're not driven by that aspect of it, combined with the idea, depending on why people got into this business, you're not always driven to develop material. It's like going into the clubs and working on new stuff and not getting laughs when you can reach in your pocket and kill based on other stuff. It's very. It, it takes real discipline to generate new stuff. Yes. And I think when you see people get really well known and they have the opportunity to get a script from a movie studio. I mean, as an actor, I've worked on series. I get a script. I memorize the script. And then you develop a performance around that. I don't have to go in and write the fucking script. That's I'll true. have to write it and then go up and work it out while people tell me they don't like that joke, they like that one, they don't like that one. <clears throat> it's a much more rigorous process yeah. to, to write, develop your own hour. And it, it can be a bit exhausting to live that life. Uh. Um, Part of the reason a guy like Carlin was able to generate so much because he didn't have a TV career. You know, he had a shot at a sitcom mm -hmm. that didn't play out. Right. Um, not that he wouldn't have anyway. He was a brilliant, prolific guy. But well, I think I think even the fact that we have these names that we're tossing out there, it's almost like the exception proving the rule. So even if yes, there is, you're absolutely right. You know. Yeah. The fact that you you have to look and search and sift through to find the, it's like somebody arguing for the stripper that is putting themselves through. <laughs> it's like yeah, you're right. Okay, so you met this one fucking chick in Atlanta who's actually going to school. Right. You proved that the 600 I'm talking about aren't. Um, yeah. And so, right. I mean, the fact that we're landing on three names out of 200. Yeah. Each time during a conversation about generating this stuff. Right. Proves the rule to a degree. Also, I think, and this is a much more subtle kind of idea. I think I was. Colin Quinn is at the cellar a lot. He's one of the people that I feel like are really interesting. It keeps writing like his new one man special. If you saw the one about what was like History of the World or yeah. something, it's HBO. Mm -hmm. He's got a real interesting mind, and I was asking him about what he's reading or thinking, and, and Colin said something to me. I asked him about his whatever his latest epiphany or realization was, and he said to me, he said, the cavalry is not coming. Mm. Meaning, 
whatever reason people got into stand-up comedy, oftentimes they hadn't received enough. There's a kind of attention deficit, a lack of love combined with uh, natural charisma or personality. And, and part of you, and even me coming from a really dysfunctional home, part of you feels like that love, that approbation, that approval will fill something up. You get into this thing going, the more whatever's, and I was in and out of clubs at night with, I mean, different, you know, women every fucking week for years. Right. And I think what Colin means is, it's, no one's coming to save you. So if you're lucky enough to get on in a big way, and now money is no longer your problem, a lot of times you got no money, you think that'll solve stuff, and it will. It'll solve a mortgage, it'll solve rent, it'll solve other things. Once you get to the next level, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's like food and shelter, then safety and something, then something else. Yeah. Then at the top, it's what do I do with my life to make me feel better about my life? And that's a much tougher question than, than rent money. Right. Um, and I think guys get to the point where it doesn't solve whatever underlying issues they were experiencing in their life that they didn't even know they were experiencing. So suddenly a degree of fame, a degree of money. There was a rapper that said something about, I think, uh, is it unhappy with the riches because you're pissed poor morally? Mm. If you're not straight morally and also have some sense of yourself, some sense of self, comedy's not going to fix it. Then nothing's going to fix it. It's inside. And when you begin to realize that, you know, I was working with a showrunner, famous showrunner, mm -hmm. worked with some big money kinds of success stories and his he said money will exacerbate whatever the underlying condition is if you were generous you'll probably be really generous if yeah. you're insecure and paranoid oftentimes it'll exacerbate that right and I think uh, I think the thing that you're really driven to do the thing that really turns you on early on you're driven for different reasons and in different ways. I mean, Seinfeld is still in the clubs. Ray Romano is still in the clubs. But they're not carving out new hours every year. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? When Chris Rock was at the cellar, and, and, and he sits at the table, and I was talking to him. I was like, so what's the end game? Did you sort of shrug his shoulders? Like, I don't know. Go out, try to develop a new hour. Should try and think about what's funny again. Right. It never ends. And with shit that never ends comes a bit of fatigue. I think. I mean, I think that's it's in the neighborhood of the answer to that question. Well, and I think that it, it addresses this. Th there's this. I think it's a misconception. It's a pretty common misconception that people look at comedians and they think, you know, like they say, "Oh, well, I bet comedy is your therapy." It's like, no, nah, no, it's not. Therapy is your therapy. Like therapy is therapy. your therapy. Don't <laughs> like, don't confuse the two. It right. may be cathartic. Yes. You may get, you may have experiences on yes. stage which engender something that feels good. Yes. Don't, don't. Cocaine feels good for a little while. Don't confuse that with medicine. Right. Right. Uh, not that comedy is cocaine. It can be healthy for some people, but oftentimes it's a cathartic outlet for people with some real psychological struggles. Mm -hmm. You know, the desire to get up in front of an audience and prove to them that you're funny is a peculiar thing to do. Yes. And one of those so, things. And so I find the idea that when people go, comedy is my therapy, I find that a very sloppy idea. Mm. It, it will not, it, it doesn't, um, 
An idea like that will not hold itself well against any kind of rigor, any kind of actual questioning. Well, I think it's no different than a whole lot of other things. Some people think that a relationship will solve it. Some people think, uh, uh, you know, comedy will solve it. Some people think that Nothing a, a, a promotion anything. will make me feel. Yeah, it's it's all the same stuff. And if it does make you feel good, it's it's a band aid. It's not the thing that solves the issue. Right. You know what I mean? Like the thing about analysis that people are, are have a tough time with sometimes is that it's fucking slow. Getting at real issues is a slow, arduous process. Right. You know, a sense of emptiness having grown up in whatever environment that, you know, you grew up in and suddenly a crowd claps and says, we love you. Feels good initially. I mean, mm. and then what? <laughs> then what? They don't go home with you. They're just saying we like that thing you did. They don't know you. You still have a feeling of this disconnect. And so you're in front of a crowd late at night. There's all this energy. And then what do you do with that energy? And there, There's a reason why, you know, the road and vices and people's failed relationships and drug problems and alcohol problems. Like, there's a reason. It's all in the same stew. It's not that guys on Wall Street don't have drug problems. It's that the average doctor... That's got to be up at eight in the morning taking care of shit. Right. It's a little e- less easy to to slop it up all night long with a bottle of Jack and some some dysfunctional broad after a show. That's than true. if you got surgery in the morning. That's true. You got radio for twenty minutes and then you go back to sleep. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier to be a fuck up if you've already got you know sh- shit wrong. Right. Just don't lie to yourself and pretend that. You know that it's just your therapy. It's like it wouldn't be so many problems after shows and comedy clubs if you just left therapy. Right. If it felt that way. If yeah. It, if it accomplished that. No, that's true, man. I mean, and then you look at how many comedians, man. Whether it's drug abuse, suicide. I mean, that stuff. Are you kidding? It's so right. I mean, the, the, listen, the statistics will back up the, the idea. There, there's no there's no arguing that this is... Right. You know, it doesn't mean you can't get healthy and lead a good life and be funny. It right. means that there is a correlate between certain types of behaviors. And to chalk it up, the comedy is my therapy is a sloppy uh, idea. Yeah, I think so. And not I... that it can't be therapeutic, mm-hmm. but it's not therapy. Right, right. And it's a and it's a dangerous idea. In some it's ways, a dangerous man. idea. You go into that thinking. It's a dangerous idea. Yeah. It's the kind of idea you know that right before you take that third drink, get in the car, you know, with without, you know, and, and then sort of s turn home with some other drunk chick and you know fuck again without a condom for the fifteenth week in a row. It's like right. Comedy's my therapy. Ah. Feel good. It's like yeah, do you? Is right. that your therapy? Yeah. You know. And, and there's a lot of... <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of forms of uh, suicide, man. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes... It sure it's, is. It's a gun. Sometimes it's an overdose. Sometimes it's the doctor tells you if you keep eating this, it's going to kill Precisely. you. But you're so emotionally screwed up. You can't or, stop it. You can't stop it. I think that's a very smart observation. It's astute. I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a slow suicide. There's yes. a bullet in the head. Yes. And then there's, 
there's that thing where you just keep living a way that does not agree with you. Yes. You know it and you can't stop it. Dude, I've had, I've had people in my family have doctors tell them, if you continue yes. to do this, yes. you will die. And they're yes. like, I don't give a fuck. The only way to get underneath that, that I know of, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a kind of therapy. Certain For some people, it's a kind of religion. It's a kind of something. But it's, it's generally underneath whatever's going on. It's not... The surface problem is so and so is a drug problem. So and so can't stop eating cake after midnight. So and so, but underneath that is a kind of emptiness and a feeling that there there's a void that's got to be filled. And if you don't address whatever that void is, right? I'm not saying it's going to go away. I'm saying if you develop a dialogue with it, you're less likely to be run by it. And so. Talk, talk to your demons. But don't pretend they're not there, because then you got big problems. Yeah, yeah. I think people, people look at comedians too, man, and and, and and I talk to people after shows all the time, and they're like, you know, they see you up there laughing and smiling, and they yeah, think, it's a good time. A, <laughs> they just oh, think, oh man, oh, I wish I had your job. It's you. a great time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's a hell of a time. It's a fucking grind. No matter what you've done. No matter who you are, how well known you are, it's to go back into that environment and want to do that. You know, you, you didn't just develop some material at a water cooler. You develop material by hustling into these rooms in front of whoever, wherever. And... And to some degree, failing X amount of time or X percentage of time, and then you got a few things that land, and you begin to develop an act and find a voice. But it's, uh, no, man, sure it can be a good time, but but to chalk it up to that must be such a good time. It's like there are aspects of the life that are a good time, right? And also some really challenging ones. Yeah, I think of that song, man, like, however many, 50 years ago, whatever, Smokey Robinson, Tears of a Clown, when no one's around, like, you're sitting there and, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, it's like, that's, and even, even people, you, because I, I have people that look at me and they're like, oh, you're a lawyer and a comedian. And I know, you got it all, you got it you got all. It, it's like, no, yeah. man, no. Like, yeah, but, but what you just said is what everyone says at every stage of their life, doesn't it? You think anybody sitting around... You think Cosby coming up didn't have demons, for Christ's sake, with everything we just found out? Yeah. You think anybody who was hot for a while... I've worked with film stars. I'm not going to name them, but... Mm -hmm. It's all relative to the last plateau you hit. It's all relative. So whether or not you feel good about something, if you don't have a sense of yourself as an individual and feel good from another place, just because you're the hottest actor or whatever at that time. Believe me when I tell you, you'll cool off. Mm. There isn't a comedy presence outside of maybe a Kevin Hart right now and he'll cool off too that can that can get a movie made. Nobody. There are plenty of people that are, that are, it's, success is an entirely relative idea. Yes. You know, if you were a film star and that felt good and you get a, get, get a movie, but there are six people in Hollywood that can get a movie made, meaning their name's attached to an idea and that idea can get financed. There are, there are under 10 people. Yeah. 
everyone else doesn't have that kind of juice. And so wherever you are on that ladder, if that's connected to the way you feel, it's going to be a tough time for anybody. Right. Which is why there's also a real danger in tying... Gotta have a sense of yourself. Yes, tying your identity. And that's where the L.A. thing becomes a bit challenging. Because it's a city built on one industry. So when we were talking about a place like New York, which is where I live, where there are a number of different... I don't leave my house in Brooklyn, and I'm not slapped in the face. If you live near Hollywood, West Hollywood, even on the west side... Lots of people within some de- within three degrees are connected to the entertainment business. Your dentist is connected to the business. Mm. In other cities, it's not that way. It's an easier place to have a sense of yourself as an individual. Right. And every now and then, people go, well, "LA's great if you're working." I went out to LA because I was out, uh, I was doing a television series on NBC with with Goldblum. Where I was playing a detective, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and uh, it wasn't right for me then, when I was working, and it wasn't right for me now. <laughs> um, so people's shallow idea of what's right and what's wrong, you know, I, I tend to I tend to take it all with a grain of salt, as we all should, right? Well, that was, I mean, and, and, and that crosses industries, man. I, you know, I know even as an attorney, man, I used to work at uh, this pretty... Uh, large national law firm and you know one of those places where everybody comes and makes yes. six figures and you know yes one of those spots and I was there for a couple years man yes. and it's like so many of those yes people like had everything tied into who they were yes tied into their pay grade tied into the tier of the law school they went to tied into these things and it's like well, what happens when you lose the job oh man if you're so you know inextricably connected to it yeah what happens when it it's goes a, away it is about that sense of self yeah. they we, you know it's funny they, they went I remember I remember a comedian was doing a joke about uh, how like when the stock market crashed in 1929 there were people jumping out of windows yes. They're like, black people don't kill themselves. Black people were not emotionally invested in the stock market. It's not that they don't also have self-destructive impulses. If it violently disagrees with their identity, it's that, you know, people, if that's your identity, if you're the stockbroker dude, and you didn't develop yourself in other ways, and your friends are tied to that, and your wife is tied to that, and everybody's tied to your ability to fund your next, you know, whatever... It's going right. to be a tough ride, man. I, and I, and fortunately, I kind of had some sense of that years ago, man. Because as soon as I finished law school and I got to the big firm, they said, well, you know, my family said, it's not it's not William Jacobs anymore. It's not right. Will Jacobs. It's Will Jacobs Esquire. Yes. And I'm like, no, the hell it's not. Yes. No, the hell it's not. Right, right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, but that's very astute of, of you. I mean, I... I I find this conversation more engaging than the average comedy-related scenario. I, I don't. I used to think that when I got into comedy, I thought people would be a bit more interesting and more reflective. And I don't know. I found comics that would certainly be more interesting than the average person you run into at a Walmart. They're definitely a grade above that. But I don't know. I feel like there's more introspection required if somebody's going to come at an idea with any value. Yeah. There's a lot of shallow ideas, you know, there's a lot of like about what will make us happy and why we're driven to do whatever we do. I think those are big questions. Well, and that's I, that's why I've always enjoyed uh, what you do on stage because I 
I, I feel like a, some comedy you see, a, a lot of it is descriptive. Like this is what happens in the world. Don't you know when people act like this? And yeah, the I'm trying doctor to go sounds like this. A bit more and, and it's like to, you yeah. get at the why. You know, like you, like for yeah. example, like, and that's what I'm trying to work towards. Like you have people that you know, I'll see comedians. They be like, yeah, don't you hate these ghetto chicks that talk like this? <laughs> and and my thing is, well, why don't we get up there and talk about well, how did these ghettos get here? Or what? Why? Yeah, or, you yeah, know, yeah. what's what what continues that? Like what's involved? What are the inner workings? It's not of only stuff? you don't want to just attack how they talk. You can do that. That as a component of why they speak that way. Yes. How do they feel about themselves? Yes. When you're calling your friend a hoe, what kind, what <laughs> kind of self-destructive shit is that? When you have a relationship with someone that you experience like that, or yourself, right? It's like, yeah, it's it's. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. And it's like I, I see you see a million comedians that talk about you know oh you know, scared to go through the ghetto jokes or whatever. But it's like okay, well, where's the comedian that comes up and talks about how these ghettos got here? Let's talk yeah, housing discrimination. Precise. Let's talk you know let's yes. talk redlining. Let's talk. But you know I mean those talk are some, a culture that's so robbed from any sense of itself that somebody's willing to shoot you over your sneakers, right? Yes. It's like wait, how do you get to the point? How do you, you get have there? Such li- little respect for human life and it's not just the other life it's your own when you're shooting somebody over sneakers it's almost like putting a gun to your head anybody ever shot somebody over a pair of sneakers ended up in a terrible place themselves yes it's kind of like that slow suicide when I watch the first 48 Mm. and I see somebody getting locked up after they murdered somebody over a $200 weed transaction you're like just put a gun to your own head at that point what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'm not even talking about the morality. If you want to rob a bank, I will quietly applaud you if you don't hurt anybody. <laughs> if you don't hurt anybody when you do, I'm like, good for you. I, mean, I, I still have a warm space inside me and, and a kind of respect for somebody who's able to pull that off. Um, but, but you know, when, when you're... I mean, clearly, morally, there's some problems with it. We can't run a society. You know, it's like, you shouldn't be robbing banks. But I get it. Right. When you when you're murdering somebody over a over a three hundred dollar weed transaction, it's just it's just like killing yourself after a while. Like you're putting yourself in that much danger for that little reward. The risk reward scenario in a bank is much higher. Right. Payoff is bigger. You can actually do something with it in theory. Right. Well, and, and some if, it, well, and, and some of that boils down to frame of reference because if you've never seen anything up close more expensive than a pair of jewels, yes. or yes. you've never seen anything yes. up close, frame of reference. You know, yes. some people will do that over that, and some people will be an executive for Bridgestone. That's the premise and for say, the joke. These will kill yeah. however many people, and it's like, sure. well, if it'll bring in this much for the stockholders, it's fine. Yes, precisely. That's precisely right. Yes. It is frame of reference. Yes. There are plenty of people doing deals at arm's length. Yes. That, um, that, the result of which people will be dying. Right. But they don't have to. No, they don't have to deal with it. They didn't actually pick up the gun. But that's that, that weird white collar crime space where, you know, oftentimes your life is advantaged enough (laughs) so that the crime you're going to commit doesn't involve actual blood on your knife. Right. you know, somebody else is getting stabbed because of whatever parameters they have to live within, which you put in place, motherfucker. Right, right. Yeah. And that's, and see, and that sort of transfers, or that relates to 
this this thing with you know now with some of the gun violence happening on television and everything else like yeah. I'm sure you saw the story of the news anchor yeah, the cameraman yeah, yeah, sure, being yeah. killed yeah. and and I was sitting with a group of attorneys and they were like oh well I can't you know they shouldn't show that anywhere and, and that shouldn't be on television yeah. and part of me was like you know they should show that everywhere because if you're going to have a real gun debate right. show people what that what a bullet ripping through flesh yes, looks yes, like. Yes, if you yes, want to have yes, a real debate about it. it, in the same way with the civil rights movement, it didn't become real to people until Selma was in everybody's living yes, room yes, and they were watching kids get beat yeah, over there. Yeah, see what actually happened. Yeah. And if you, so, if you want to have a real gun, now listen. If you can watch that and arrive at the same position, that's fine. But just have an informed sort of debate on this and by informed I mean let's look at gun violence when you're voting and saying uh, keep all these semi-automatics and all this stuff when you're saying that this is what they do look at it also, look at part it part of the national conversation about about the idea of gun rights and I love guns like I like shooting guns mm-hmm. that being said mm-hmm. <laughs> if assuming we agree that you want to reduce homicide rates, that you want to address a culture of violence. Mm-hmm. If you don't, then guns are great. Right. If you do, just take a look at a country without guns. <laughs> just go look. Where's the debate? <laughs> you know how many people getting shot in the head in Western Europe? One fiftieth of the number here. Right. And anywhere in Western Japan, there's like one dude a year gets killed with a gun. <laughs> yeah, the numbers are crazy. Listen, man, it's much easier to commit homicide if you got to do it with a blade. It's like, you know, it's it's less likely. The fact that you're going to walk up on somebody, it's, does it happen? Of course it does. Yeah. The idea that, you know, and then people go, well, it's all right. I know it's your right, but the right comes from a psychology. When we, when, when Whitey came in, when they were getting out of Europe and they felt that it was the tyranny of the majority, so they felt that they did not want to be put in a position again where they had some ruler telling them what to do and they had no means of recourse. So the idea of arming yourself was you had the same weapon the dude that worked for the government had. Yeah. What the fuck are you going to do now with a handgun? You, it, it's not the same argument. So it didn't take place within the same framework. And you're just pulling pieces out of it. And you lose the whole picture. Right. right. The right to defend oneself made sense when you're a frontiersman. Yes. When, when everybody can buy guns and you're in an environment that promotes a kind of when, you know, Violence is a part of our culture, and then you just have something in your hand that's no longer, it's not a punch. Right. It's something you clip, and you hadn't thought about it. You got no parent around. You got no sense of yourself, no sense of self-esteem, no sense of value and and worth for life. Look at the homicide rates. It's not a, it's not an act. (laughs) There's no X factor here that's difficult to determine why things are happening. It's very clear, the correlates. Yeah, and that's and that's my problem even as an attorney with these you know with these people that immediately point to the Constitution. And they go, Oh well it's my you know, it's my you know, my, my second amendment right yeah. to, to bear arms. And it's like, no, that in my mind the Constitution should be should be an evolving document. Where it over time things you know, there was a time when I was three fifths of a person. Like are you yes. are you kidding? Like things happened. years ago evolve. women couldn't vote. When when did the suffrage movement take place? <laughs> that was in the early twenties or like yeah, the fucking nineteen twenties. Yeah. A hundred years ago, women could not vote, which I think, you know, was a big mistake allowing them into the process. <laughs> you know, everybody has their own opinion. 
Everybody's their own opinion. These broads are getting rather uppity. Rather uppity nowadays. You give somebody some rights and they got a big mouth all of a sudden. I take a hand to a woman in a minute. No, of course it's ridiculous. Yeah, man. And that's why, you know, when you hear these people talk, it's like they want us to go backwards. It's like... It is, it is, a, you know, listen, it's a big, it's, it's a problem, and look, our culture, you know, if you compare it to Western European, whatever, it's like they've been, they've had a culture for 2,000 years, when you walk around, somebody walks around Europe, you go, you had a city here for 1,200 years, right, you know, 300 years ago, Manhattan was farmland in this country, you know, and so... I don't know. I guess the trajectory. Uh, <clears throat> I was listening to Obama talk about the long view of something. It's like, it's like part of change is getting mad about shit now, and then part of not feeling defeated is knowing that we are changing. You know, yeah, the world of shit has changed for 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 women and and black people and look at even look at white people years ago in in England if you were a certain class you stayed in that class you didn't have a, a much of an opportunity to rise above whatever um, and you know that's changed it's like you can't compete with the rest of the world just rewarding people for who their parents were can't compete with the rest of the world like that. So you got to be a bit more of a meritocracy. It's like the one great thing that America did was like, hey, you if you can figure that shit out, we'll give you a patent and you can make some money on that patent. So there's this incentive to move. If right. you're not even allowed to address the issue, unless your father also was a blacksmith or your father was in politics, you can't be in politics, then somebody who's really talented at whatever doesn't necessarily have a voice. Right. If the son of the king is the next ruler and that son's a fucking moron, <laughs> your king's a moron. It's tough to compete with other, with other, you know, political systems where people are rewarded for the talent. Nobody gets to be the leader and a moron. A right. place where you're rewarded for certain kinds of talents. Though George Bush might argue that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I think, it, I mean, I think it's, I mean, sometimes I'm hopeful, and then, you know, other times you get dispirited. I, I totally, uh, yeah, agree, yeah, sure. And I don't know, you know, with this, with global warming, it's like, it, it may... It, it may it may be too late. I, I don't I don't know. Whatever that means, you know. I'm not I'm not a big super left wing whatever. I'm not. I try to sort of evaluate whatever issue as it comes, but you know, I, I it's I don't know. Shit's melting apparently. So we, we may not have any issues in 80 years because half half whatever city's underwater. Hard to fire a handgun underwater. So we may solve all these issues. It may get solved. Well, what do you think of I'm actually going to write that down as a premise. It's pretty good. No, go ahead. No, no, I don't know if it's something to work with. But I mean, yeah, have all it's the good issues. to work with. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. All the issues we have being solved by by by, by global warming. So global warming is a good thing. Yeah. It's going to solve all our issues. Has anybody told you that from a certain angle with your hair now, you look a little bit like Macklemore? Yeah, a million people. No. <laughs> Macklemore called me telling me I look like Macklemore. <laughs> I thought that last night. I think part of because of the way you dress too. It's like yeah, got the yeah. I don't know. Uh, believe it or not, the first time somebody said that, I'd never seen Macklemore. I don't. 
I still have never I think I heard one of their songs Yeah And um Yeah I don't know anything about I don't know a lot about pop culture I don't Yeah I grew up without a TV around My mother was on a commune My father was an eccentric guy in a junkyard It was a very strange environment So huh. I didn't grow up with a reference for pop culture Which is probably why my issues with social media You know like to put another picture of me smiling next to popcorn at a state fair at a gig I'm doing to me seems totally absurd <laughs> and uh, I feel ridiculous yeah I saw your Twitter man I was like I, yeah. I, it looked like it had been a few weeks oh yeah <laughs> when I have something to say I'll say it to every day to get up and go oh look at this you know I'm putting on the red sneakers this morning what right I listen People, whatever they're, they're up to, it doesn't feel like it makes sense to me. But live your life. Well, I think because too, because you've, you know, put yourself in a position where you can kind of, in some ways, do it your way. I am. So, I have to some degree financially independent, which is yes, yes. There's no doubt about it. I am at this point. It's a little bit easier for me to say whatever and, and, and declare whatever in, in this position, and so. Uh, it's more challenging, though I've always had trouble with it, with that kind of thing. When Dame was on MySpace every six seconds, mm-hmm. it worked very well for him. He sold a lot more tickets than I probably ever will. Oh, Dane Cook? Yeah. yeah. But it also, he's a kind of a person, and I'm a kind of a person, and, and I'm okay with with what kind of person I am. Right. And so if that means I sell fewer tickets, the ticket sales aren't my God. I got to be able to be cool with me. And for some people, it's like, you know, they jack off a horse if it if it'd sell 10 more tickets. I don't like jerking off horses. You do what you got to do, I'll do what I got to do. Well, it goes back to that notion earlier of sort of defining success yes. for yourself. Yes, it does. And I think we have a very sloppy, slippery definition of it yes. in capitalistic cultures in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been around some really wealthy people. I, I, I You know, it's not... Again, if if you're if you're a, a good person that's connected to yourself mm-hmm. and you've got a decent internal infrastructure and you happen to make money, God bless. Yeah. But if the only objective was making another, you know, whatever, off of whatever, you tend to be kind of a shitty demographic of human being. And so so you, you people make their bed, but uh I won't run around believing that anybody is a success because there's a lot of chrome around them. That won't that won't that won't work for me. Yeah, I mean, I really had to to work at that personally, man. Because I mean, you know, transitioning from law into comedy. Oh yeah. You know, there were a lot of people I graduated with, and you know, because I was one of those kids that sort of graduated near the top of the class. Yeah, I can had tell you. Big right. firm job. I appreciate it, man. I had to. You know, big firm job. I'm a heterosexual. Don't get any wild ideas. <laughs> well, you know, um, <laughs> you got the Macklemore vibe going. I know yeah, exactly. When you mentioned a Macklemore, two seconds later, you got your hand on my knee. Hey, I thought I was giving you a ride. You know, what are you selfish? <clears throat> Suddenly, I'm the bad guy for not putting out. <laughs> no, but I, I got you. people. You, you know, life, people. Sure. People. You know, my family. You know, like, are you sure this is what we're doing Listen, here? There's no doubt about it. And I think that I really do think in life, man, that's one of the bits I, I do on stage, and I'm always trying to work on it, but this idea that, like, sometimes I think 
we become these sort of walking collages of other people's expectations. It's an excellent, excellent way to describe. You know, it's like all these people expect this. To, and, and then it's like even when you pick your lane, like as a comedian, this is my lane. This is what I love to do. I love yeah. getting on stage yeah. and, and, you know, hashing out my perspective and yeah. exchanging energy and everything yes. that, that comes with it. But even as that, you got people that come up to you. Hey, man, you should do more of this. Hey, man, you should be more of this. Hey, no you're a little too it. Carlton. You're a little too street. No you're a little too, you know, and it's like you really do have to do a lot of work internally, man, constantly because constantly. the world is lined up. People are lined up to tell you what you need to be. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, man. And that's the and that's the importance of you know having a good wife or somebody that's in your corner, man. My wife, I mean, you know, God bless yeah, but, her. But, but, but that that's reflective of who you are. You gotta understand. I, I couldn't get a good wife before. I didn't know what that looked like. Mm. I didn't know what someone who was stacked up in the right way psychologically looked like. So the fact that you were able to identify that is also is also it's a reflective of you. It's it's. And, and yes, someone else can help you, and then and then you, you choose certain kinds of friends to let into your life because not everybody's going to be good for whatever. And like, but that all comes from having enough going on inside you to make those determinations. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But and all those things are true as well. Yeah, that's that was critical, man. I'm, I'm not saying that I, I couldn't have you know done this or, or pursued this path without some of those things but I mean they help a lot man having my you know my father behind me because my dad was a lawyer so yeah. you know coming up he thought it was cool that I was kind of taking what he did to the next level yeah, and, sure. you know and now it's like okay well my son's the comedian but my dad's like he yeah. just he rolled with it and I think part of it was because I, I did this this comedy class yeah down in Charlotte and, I, and we had a graduation night and my father happened to be in town for uh, like a homecoming sort of thing for his yeah. college and uh, him and his brother, my uncle, who I grew up with too, because like I said, my mom passed. And so I had a whole lot of people that came in and kind of yes. looked out for me. And, and, you know, my uncle was part of that, my dad's brother. So they came to the show and, and my, my my now wife brought her parents to the show. Yeah. And that so my first time meeting my in-laws was at a show. So oh, wow. like so and there and in my mind now that I look back it's like there was sort of a lot of stuff on the line because oh, all yeah. they knew all they knew was their daughter was dating this guy yes. that wanted to go from being a comedian I mean yes. go go from being a lawyer to a comedian yes. so it's like well we've got to come see this what is this oh there's no doubt about it and I'm performing and I'm not that good yet but <laughs> I don't know how good I am at any stage but you know it's like I'm, well, I'm you got up there. talent and you're smart and that's half the battle. Well, I I mean, then, then, then it becomes about work, and then it's you know putting the bricks together after that. Well, yeah. So they so they're they're there, and they sit in the audience, and uh, you know I, I did my thing, man, and, and the audience showed a lot of love, and it was a, it was a really good night, man. And as I left, my uncle, I was talking to my dad and my uncle, and he said, uh, yeah. I tapped your father and told him, yeah, that law practice y'all were talking about maybe doing together. He's like, you can forget that. This is what he was meant to do. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. And then her parents even were like, okay, we see it now. And I think part of it may have been, oh. Talent's a dangerous thing. Well, they saw some of the talent, but I think, too, that they, not only did they see the talent, they saw how much I loved it. I see. I see. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. It's sure. like they, they saw how much, and they never totally saw that look it. in my eye in a I courtroom. I totally get it. You know, my father had never seen that look in my eye walking out of the ivory tower or wherever yes. I was working. You know, and it's like this time he saw it. Like, 
like, I oh, this is what he loves. I get it. The pro- the, the problem with 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 loving something at certain times is how you marry that then into the into the into the make a living models of things. Yeah. It's like there there are actors that get into the acting, and then you realize the acting business often has not that much to do mm-hmm. with whether or not someone loved acting. And so, whether or not they get to play that stuff out, if somebody truly loves it and they want to do plays for very little money and stuff like that, you know, it makes sense, but they just have to weigh that out against other components of existence. But Well, it's called show business. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's that, that, that other, that business part. There is a business part of it, yeah. And they can be two very sort of disparate. Oh, oh and often are, no doubt about it. It's amazing to me how many people are not good at comedy and in it for 15 years. I've seen dudes. I literally, I'm, I swear to you, I watch night after night and I go, what experience of reality are you having that I'm not getting? If I missed 15 free throws out of 17 shots, after, after a week and a half, I'm going to go, I'm not that good of a free throw shooter. And after 10 years of missing 15 out of 17, I'm going to go, I got to tell you, this free throw, I'm just not getting any better. It's incredible what one laugh out of a 15-minute set can do for a psychopath that never had any love. I don't know what... Uh, what part of you gets filled up? You got one laugh out of 15 jokes, and that's enough for you to keep getting back on stage for 15 years. Well, how about that person? And, and when that person comes up to you and goes, hey, what do you think I need to tweak? Oh, man? my God. <laughs> what do you need to tweak? Tweak? Is, is a lobotomy considered a tweak? That's what you should be tweaking. Brain surgery. Tweak that. What do I need to tweak? That's an excellent question. Your path. Yes. Yes. The way you experience reality. Tweak it. Tweak it. Tweak it. Because whatever you felt didn't happen. Tweak that. Holy shit. I mean, I, 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 feel, I feel bad. I know how challenging the business is for talented people. It's like, oof. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? You'd have been a perfectly good whatever. Just do that. Right. What right. are you bothering with this stand-up for? You got six laughs over the past thirteen weeks. What are you bothering with this for? Oh, you. Oh, I see him, man. You, oh you my see God, him. it's incredible. I mean, and I even just in my, you know, whatever I've done. It's like you see guys, and I've come in at the same time. Oh, of course. Same time, and it's oh, like yeah. you know they've been doing it for years and years and years, and they still it's the struggle great to get about, a laugh. It's like, the great thing about sports. It. It's like how many how many times did you put the ball in that hole inside of that number of times? You know, how many passes, how many whatever, and we go on with the analogies, but at least there's a number to associate with it. Nobody walks into a football field, gets flattened night after night, and then goes, I should go pro. Right. That's what they're doing in comedy. They're, right. They're literally getting, you're a boxer, you get in a ring, and each time you go to throw a shot, guy knocks you out. Yeah. And you go, I got to take this to the next level. And you know what? I, and then I, you're like, are these shorts the right color? Is that what it is? Am I not as good of a fight if it's my shorts are blue? Should I get the red shoes? Would you stop it? That's not you it. You just got your jaw broke. Stop it. Stop yourself. And that's one of the things I can say, you know, being in those corporate environments, like, you get fired. Yes. Like sometimes there's you need someone to telling get you. Fired. And there's that's someone going. You can't tell you. You can't lie to yourself. You got somebody going. 
did you just do that? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. And those corporate environments, I know from being in them and sitting across with you're either an asset or a liability. There is no in between. Absolutely. So if you're a liability, you're out the door. Yes. And that's and but with comedy, yes. it's a little bit different. You got stages no one, you can always get on. And you can pretend whatever in your own head because no one's gonna tell you, listen, the bottom line is you are you're, you're your own boss. Right. And that's a gift and a curse. Oof. Gift and a curse. I know people have been hanging around comedy clubs for 20 fucking years. Yeah. Yeah. 20 years. I always always told people, I'm going to pursue this because it's my dream, but I'm going to pursue it responsibly. I'm not going to pursue it to where I'm going to have, you know, me and my wife sleeping in a car. I just can't. That's not me. You know what I mean? Totally. So it's like there's a certain way I'm going to do this thing. And, 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 And if it's not, and I'm a realist, I try to be with myself. If this thing isn't headed in a certain direction in five to ten years, yeah. then, you know, I got to... Totally, totally. I think, I think, I think you, 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 you've articulated perspective as well as I've heard it from anybody. It makes perfect sense. Yes, man, yeah, I, I just... No, no, it's true. It's, it's, you know, it's rare. I get to have a conversation where I feel like things land. You know, I feel like it's 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 unfortunately uncommon. It's it's. Uh, I really think so. Uh, as it relates to real perspective and sort of consideration and introspection, yes, yes, I do. Because you would think being in New York, you would you know you would find it's a better lot than when I'm doing a gig when I'm gigging in Indiana and the, the MC <laughs> just fell off a truck. Oh. He was loading a horse and then there was some hay on his foot and then he walked into a comedy club to hee haw it up with a with two watercolor jokes. Yeah, it's better than it's of course New York's better than that, but <laughs> relatively speaking, right. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with Indiana. You can be the most brilliant comedian in the world and come from wherever, but there are certain environments that are not given toward kind of any intellectual reflection whatsoever. Because New York, if any, if any place, you know, in this country was a bit more, you know, leading into something related to a book, New York would be in that arena. Do you think New York is what it's always been in time because no. I, mean, I, I feel like no. yeah I, it's, Fuck it's no. something different no man Manhattan is a it's it's anytime you need that much money to live anywhere it's going to change the demographic change doesn't happen from the middle from the people that are comfortable and wealthy change happens from the edges mm. Uh, you know, whether even if you're in science, it's the person with some crazy idea that ends up making sweeping changes. Yeah. Einstein was kept on the outside of whatever. It's like it doesn't happen for people that are comfortable. No, it it comes from pressure from the from yeah. the edges. And uh, Manhattan is not edgy. There's no edge left. Zero. I'm not exaggerating. Zero. When I was there as a kid, when you had, you know, squatters living in houses, and then there was the beat movement in the 60s, and there were these sort of political sort of undercurrents and something else bubbling, and Bob Dylan was in the village, and, and it's it's not that anymore. It's just not. The next wave of, of real, I don't know, artists or whatever is probably in Detroit where they can afford space to paint in. You're not, where, where are you going to paint in Manhattan? What effect do you think? It's, 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 it's eight hundred dollars a month for a parking spot. What the fuck are you gonna paint? <laughs> yeah. What effect do you think sort of the, the internet has had on 
on comedy because it, it seems like you know now somebody can have something go viral and that's a ticket to something that wasn't there. Yeah, it was, is that a good or a bad thing? It's 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 probably the net. It's a net negative. Unless you go, I got really lucky. I'm a moron. Now I'm going to start learning how to invest money, which is which is almost never the case. The kinds of morons that make videos of themselves and get noticed for whatever are not the kind of people that are able to hold on to a dollar. Whatever they make will go out. Well, because there's some. I think, and I think that's part of the thing with you know this American Idol and, and, and these it's a kind of phenoms kind of thing. It doesn't. It doesn't last. Staying power yeah. is usually associated with a kind of something in someone. You don't stay. Well, I think it should be incremental. I mean, this, you know, this whole I did this and it exploded. It's oh, like yeah. a, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the reason that you have these singers that flame out so quickly is because there's something to be said for the grind. It's like development deals in Montreal years ago. Everybody with a nice smile and seven minutes of okay material was getting development deals. Seinfeld was hot. Sitcoms were hot. They wanted to produce more of them. They needed talent to do that. But they didn't realize that seven minutes doesn't mean you have a voice. Mm. It doesn't make you a comedian. Mm. Makes you somebody who's got a few jokes you were able to string together and you got a nice look. Um, and none, And by the way, 99% of those deals didn't work out. They stopped giving them out. Mm. Now, you get development deals, it's much harder. They give out much fewer of them. And every now and then, you know, you get a development scenario. But it's not just because you had five good minutes and a smile. And so, which is basically what you just said. That's... So when you so when you want to, you know these comedians like I look at like a Billy Gardell or you know cats that have really been working hard, yeah, working hard, working hard, hard forever, yeah. And something happens. Is it heartbreaking in a way when you get in the room with executives and they tell you change it? Like this isn't that. This is that. And you're like these people don't know. Yes comedy. and no. Mostly it's notes. Nobody's gonna tell you that you don't work for whatever. It's like. No executive ever does that. They're all afraid that en- that you'll actually figure something out, do well, and they don't want to offend anybody. It, it, it's generally run on executive decision. How there's an undercurrent of fear. A lot of the decision making is fear based. It's why new ideas rarely ever happen from the middle. It's always a guy that we think Louis will like him or don't like him. Uh, Louis, that almost didn't happen. Louis had to go in to, a, to, to FX and convince executives that, that they give him a very small amount of money and he'll, he'll make the whole show. He'll shoot it, he'll edit it, he'll star in it. So they gave him a small amount of money. Had Louis gone to CBS, he never would have a deal. It's, you know, it happened because they didn't have much to lose. 200 grand is nothing to a network to develop something. Neil Brennan was my partner on a Showtime show. They gave us three quarters of a million dollars to shoot our half hour. Um, didn't work out for whatever whatever reason, but but it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's incremental. You got to build it. And the more you know, the more I hear about that man. And every now and then, old. though, there's a guy like Eddie Murphy who is a genius performer. Yeah, he's a like when he was 18, he had a kind of a poise on stage. <laughs> And the genius level performance. That being said, he doesn't have, for me, anywhere near the impact in terms of soul and spirit. You never, ever, ever hear anyone referencing Eddie Murphy as one of the great comedians. Not because he wasn't a brilliant performer, but it's not Richard Pryor who changed things culturally. It's not, you know, it's it's not Carlin. It's not. It doesn't hit that level. It's not right. deep. He never had to go that deep. 
Eddie Murphy was a born star in at to the degree that that's possible. So is there? A, there's got to be a difference then between people's favorite comedians and the greatest great performer. Because you hear a lot of people say he's one of the name your top five or favorite, and they put a lot of people put Eddie up there. You're right, but no, I've never heard any comedian comedians talk about Woody Allen, George Carlin, Richard Pryor. I haven't heard any comedian talking about great material and go that Eddie Murphy. Mm. Haven't heard anyone yeah, say that. Not yeah, a single yeah. person. Well, he was so young. I mean, part of it was I'm not so making excuses young. for him or not. I'm just saying I haven't heard anybody say that. Yes, he was so young. Would he have gone on to develop real oh, deep, knows? layered shit? Right. Maybe he would have. What I'm saying is if you're given he was a kind of a genius-level performer, that doesn't mean you're going to write really deep jokes and material that's impacting um, mm. Like Pryor did, um, but you know, well, it also depends on what you're looking for. I mean, if that, of course it does. You of know, of course, yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. If you want something to be thoughtful, and that that sort of goes back to, you know, what what do you think a comedian's role is? Like, are, are we, you know, should it be oh, no, provoking? Should, should it be this or is just, just funny space for everybody? I love just funny shit sometimes. Mm. I don't need some. I don't need you to come at me with some, you know. With whatever Mark Marin's, you know, sort of uh, dark, funny monologue is, I, you know, I like that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm turned on. Again, a guy like Pryor, a guy like uh, people that are really trying to get at something underneath other guys. I was turned on by. I look at Eddie Murphy and go, dude's a genius level performer. Mm-hmm. Very few of his jokes ever made me think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So does that mean he's not a, he's not brilliant? It, no, he's, he's brilliant at what he does. I never, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I heard Eddie Murphy was in a movie and said, "I want to see that movie." Never <laughs> happened. You know, it just is what it is. Right. You know, doesn't mean he's not he's not absolutely brilliant at what he does. It's, you know, get in where you fit in, figure out who you are and what you like, and that kind of thing, I guess. I'll tell you too, man. This whole uh, this Cosby thing, man, is amazing. I, it amazing. It fascinates me. Fascinating. Man. I mean, just you know how fascinating. Because I, you know, I remember talking to people, you know, early on with the whole, you know, with everything, and it's like there was this wild swing from. Like there was no like I I was the sort of person that was like okay you know just the I don't know whether it's the attorney in me or the or just as a thinking person being able to sort of detach myself from the emotion of it you know because I would talk to some people and they were like you could tell that they were just struggling with the idea of him <laughs> doing things like that because you know there was something that they connected to I with him emotionally with the idea. of course you know you got a man who's been at the forefront. Uh, you know, it's been a voice for positivity and yeah. change. You know, like he had real integrity as it related to his choices. Yeah, and the way that people viewed black people, like yeah. you know, there's a reason he said it in the high. He wanted to show people that America didn't have many images of a you know of the, the Huxtables were a real black family in some sense, in that there are millions of black families that are representative of that. Right. Not everything is what they're so Cosby, you know, was Cosby was a very important figure. Right. Up above and beyond comedy in many ways. And to have someone like that, but what that really does for me is highlight yes. the paradoxical nature of the human animal. 
just because you do that yes. really well. I've always, Brando always said, separate a man from his talents. Yes. Meaning, you're a genius level performer. That doesn't mean I'll ever trust you anywhere near my daughter. Don't mean I'll give you keys to my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means that you're good at that. That's it. People get very confused when they see someone on television. It's why every fuck, every every retard, whoever got in front of a camera, then goes and writes a book. Oh my like, goodness! It's separate this shit out and make right. your own decisions. Understand what's going on in the world. I'm not saying don't be a fan of that person. Right. Be a fan and know that they're a person. Don't confuse somebody that's. I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's, it's almost like respect them for what they've earned, what they've worked for. They are That's a great... That's the way it works in this culture, right? But... If you're that, on a reality no. show, it's right. like I saw you. You literally right. can be a, a, a functional, functionally retarded person <laughs> and be relatively attractive and then go to a nightclub to pay you $25,000 to go. The Paris Hilton is a... It, it's amazing what goes on in this... In, in people. I've experienced it with people. Uh, they didn't They didn't know why I was on TV. They just knew I was on TV That's doing it. something. And they have this reaction like, motherfucker, do you know who's on TV? Do you know how many idiots are on TV? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But people uh, can't separate separate the, the two things. Like, you'll get no. these, oh. these celebrities that'll talk about real issues. And it's like... You know, that person worked hard at being a great comedian or a great singer. They're not a great theorist. They're not like they're not a sociologist. Like they uh, haven't studied and read enough of to earn that. Not. You know? Not. You can have an opinion. You know, but also it's like a lot of them that have opinions. They're not the ones saying they're sociologists. It's other people yeah. putting them on a news program because it gets ratings yes. and the people then go, Hey, they have an opinion. It's like if if the average individual in this country were able to separate those things out, mm. they probably wouldn't put them on news shows because it wouldn't get that much rage. That person's job is to sing. The That's problem, all you should be looking to them for. Yes, the problem is the underlying ignorance in the culture. The individual who's singing has a political opinion and they voice it. It's, you know, and if they voice it too much and act like they know what they're talking about, then it's their fault. If they just go, listen, this is how I feel about things. You know, which is why Cosby was so tough to stomach for people because, you know, they had made him more than just the guy that made them laugh on Thursday nights. You know, they made him more than that. It's like, oh, well, he was a father. It's like I had a dad. I like yes, but a lot of people don't. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people and a lot of people don't know the difference. A lot of people don't know the fucking difference. And if you don't know the difference, you know, it's like the idea of a fool and his money will soon part. It's like, I remember there was a dude in, in L.A. I heard that he, like, he went out and got a development deal. I'm not naming any names, but, he, like, he, then he, he he literally just took the... But first of all, even if you get half a million dollars for a deal, mm-hmm. 275 of it is out the window with taxes and fees right off the bat. On day one, you got 10% to an agent, 10% to a manager, 5% to a lawyer, and the government. On top of that, so mm. you got sixty percent of your money's gone on day one. Right. So out of five, you now got two something, two, two, you know, sixty or whatever it is. Less than two fifty, maybe. Uh, he goes out buys a car, which is a depreciating asset. The day you drive it off the lot, it's worth fifteen percent less than you bought it for. It depreciate, uh, you know, after the guy was sleeping in the car so, you know, <laughs> eight months after he bought it. Yep. It's it's the appearance of something doesn't make it so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so you gotta ferret that shit out for yourself, or you're gonna be a fucking guppy your whole life. You gotta follow. You're gonna. You, 
you're going to be led by false gods. Yeah. You know, fame and and value mm-hmm. aren't the same thing. Sometimes someone does something valuable and gets well known. Mm. Sometimes it's just some, some fame. Yeah. You throw glitter on a piece of dog shit. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't make it a party favor. It's just you got some glitter on it. It's still a piece of shit. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what created that wild swing with Cosby because it's like some of the same people. You know when they were when they were coming. Oh, he couldn't do that. I'm like, yeah, he could. Like, I don't know him. I don't know him. Like, I knew what I saw on television, and that's fine. But I don't know the dude. So it's like, and then it swung over from that to, oh, he's a rapist. He's just a rapist. He's like, no, he's still one of the no, greatest comedians no, ever. No like, no the, like, about it. like that. You know, you like they want to make him Both all one thing. Like, yeah, the human animal doesn't do well. With dialectics, mm. dialectic—it's uh, something I just learned about trying to communicate with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Meaning the ability to hold two opposing ideas in your head at the same time, right? So it's like you're wrong for this, and I need to be able to communicate that to you in a kinder way if you're going to hear me. Right? It's a dialectic. It's a higher. It's a more evolved form of communicating with each other, so that something actually lands, as opposed to me going, "You're wrong," and the other person going, "You're wrong," and then nothing happens. Right. Um, and so the Cosby, yeah, the Cosby scenario is, it's challenging for the human animal to experience that kind of dialectic. This was this all good person, now did something really bad, how can they be the same person? And that's hard for people to handle, but it's really, really the case. Well, that theme runs sort of through everything. Like everything. When, when, when people talk about the police and corrupt everything. police officers. Nothing's and black like, and white. You're against the cops. You're against the troops. And it's like, no, I'm just Nothing's saying. Nothing's black and white. Even right. people aren't actually black and white. Nothing's people don't black deal and well in nuance, man. Nuance like, is a motherfucker for people. <laughs> it really is, man. Nuance is a bitch. But there's a reason for that. It's all evolutionary. I believe. I think a lot of these things can be traced back to what did we need to survive Survival. when we were evolving out of whatever. You need to be able to sense danger. People sense danger real well. You can figure that shit out in a split second. You hear a lion roar. Nobody needs to tell you what a lion looks like. I don't need to see anything. I'm going in the other direction of, the, of that roar. Right. Um, but nuance. How do I communicate? Like, for most of human history, you're just trying to survive. That's all it is. Think anybody was sitting around a campfire 2,000 years ago going, I don't, if you're going to speak to me, do so in a tone that I find agreeable. It's like, motherfucker, I just fed you. You get to live for another two days. The fuck you care how I speak to you? And then you start letting women vote. Before you know it, everybody's got a fucking opinion. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, clearly. It's like... We weren't evolved to, to deal with nuance well. And so it takes a lot of work. It's why relationships take so much work. It's why so many fail. Right. You're not evolved to deal with the, the cultural structures. We weren't evolved to live three million people in the city, man. We were evolved to be in tribal communities where everyone had a say and what goes on. And if they didn't, they were still cared about by the, by the, the thing. So right. everybody had a little piece of themselves. When you get into a big capitalistic structure, mm. that person has value, that person has none. Wealthy, homeless, these extremes. It's not, you know, and so we're all grappling with all this shit and nuance. We're not, we're not wired to deal with it readily. Mm. So we got to spend a lot more time working on it. I don't have to work on whether or not I find a lion's roar a deterrent. <laughs> 
I never had to work on that. Never. A lot of people don't even understand that that's what's at work. So it's like people don't even get to the reflection. Most people don't. It requires a lot of introspection and then putting yourself in a position around people that have done their own thinking or going to therapy. It's like reading something. You know, if you're telling watercolor jokes, chances are the guy next to you also a guy who likes or also tells watercolor jokes. Watercolor jokes. Right. So you're not learning anything from one another. Right. It's two idiots reaffirming an idiot's perspective. I like chicks with big tits. You do? Yeah, I like chicks with big tits. Bitches are crazy. Bitches are... Yup. Bitches are crazy. So, no, I don't need to get into my responsibilities for why my relationships work out because we just agreed that bitches are crazy. And that's all there is to it. I had a comedian walk up to me. I don't know how long ago it was. Maybe a year ago. And he's like, hey, man, women are stupid, aren't they? Oh, my God. I'm like, what? Like, why are you... I couldn't even... Even rec- like I couldn't even process really. Yeah, I mean, what do you do? What, what, what do you say? It's like, like, why are you saying that? <laughs> forget about that. You just asked a question. You may as well be speaking Japanese. You ask a quick, why are you saying it? If anybody could answer that question, he wouldn't be saying it. <laughs> he's saying it because he's a fucking momo that was hurt by somebody, never had a strong female figure in his life, didn't have somebody that spoke to him in a reasonable way. Combined with that, he's got an IQ with eight. It's uh, why do you talk, start with that? And when I have conversations like that, I just, I almost, I find myself like speaking in the simplest terms. I'm like, I want you to stop saying things to me. I well, you but, stop saying yeah, but you can't even say that out loud because then it becomes a debate. And, you're, and then suddenly like, well, who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. I'm, 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 I'm a, uh, I'm conceited because I don't want to sit in the middle of this retarded conversation. <laughs> this, this, ugh. Yeah, people don't, and depending on what topic you're dealing with, people really, really run from nuance, man. Oh, my God. You know, like with religion, like, you know, I I have my spiritual connection and what I believe, but it's like if I criticize even aspects of things, you know, some of this this is... is the problem with... Misogynistic. Some of this is... You know, there should be more of an emphasis on... Dogma requires that you don't question anything, and a more evolved sense of faith says, wait a second, there can be a dialogue here, and I can still be someone with real spirit and connected to spirituality. It strengthens faith. It does if you're reasonable. If you want to chop somebody's head off because they listen to music, it doesn't strengthen that. If you start asking questions in that environment, people have to, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get the person out because you're a troublemaker all of a sudden. Right, right. You know, if, if I'm going to be a guru or, or run things with an iron fist and you begin asking me questions and other people go, wait a second, you know, he's got a point. Right. Suddenly you're fucking with my program. I got to get you out. I tell you, if I could do, if I had a magic wand, man, and I could do one thing, I would get everyone to sort of every, like a tune up, every however often, investigate your beliefs. Oh my God. Just so dig in, okay. Socrates was yelling at motherfuckers 2,000 years ago just that. The Socratic method is, okay, you want yes. what? You want, I wish I had a lot of, I want a lot of women. Okay, what does that do for you? Go through. Okay, I get laid tonight. Okay, now what? What else? Mm-hmm. What happens? Day after that, day after that. You get to the point where you go, oh, now I'm really lonely. I don't have anybody that actually cares about me. I don't care about them. I haven't learned anything about myself. You get, if you begin to extrapolate it out, you just get to a point that's just kind of sad. <laughs> right. You know, and right. that's where a wisdom comes from. Yeah. Socratic method. Take an inventory. Figure some shit out. What are you doing here? We already close? Yeah.
Yeah. We are. Yeah, we just lost. Yeah, I wish, you know, I wish, I wish people did that. That big tip bitches are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is DC. Yeah, I guess I'll cut this off now, but thanks for, yeah, you know, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. rapping with me, man. That was fun. No, it is fun. When you can actually talk to me, it's fun. Absolutely. Comedy Zone Podcast is a production of Comedy Zone Worldwide and is recorded in a bunker just off the Comedy Zone showroom at the NC Music Factory in Charlotte, North Carolina. The executive producers of the Comedy Zone Podcast are Brian Hepburn, Lisa Barr, and Brian Baltashevitz. Original music composed and performed by John McKeever. <laughs>